Hi there, welcome to Paranormal Blip. This is episode 20 and this is an incredible moment in the kind of story of UAPs. Uh, very much kind of America-centred story of UAP at the moment. So yeah, okay, at the moment. Because it's, this today is the day as I speak, although I'm putting this up a few days later. It is Tuesday today and so we've just um, all watched and we're all responding to the open hearing from the C, the three C's subcommittee. Very interesting, and we'll go into it in detail, obviously. But just a quick thing about the structure. We're going to go into news in a moment with Brian Bender's brilliant piece, Politico, a couple of days ago, which I linked to all of this in the, in the um, episode description, as you well know by now. You know, the information about this episode you'll see all the links and um and then we're going to go into the kind of you know subcommittee and then after that we've got this very interesting um newspaper archive from 1981 from plymouth which is just very quite very close to me not that close but one of the closest biggest cities to me in devon here so that's exciting isn't it now um obviously uh, it's that this time of the day that I ask you to follow me on Twitter at Paranormal Blip on Twitter, and Instagram is at Paranormal underscore Blip underscore Podcast. So uh, please follow me there, and thank you ever so much for your responses to the uh, episode I put in A Tear in the Sky, which has been really interesting. Um, yeah, so thanks for that. So uh, let's go into the bleeps. So Brian Bender has been writing some excellent uh, reports for Politico for some time now. And his latest one really um, kicks the ball down the field, as they say. So this is a... It's called... The title of it, and I link it, obviously, A Skull and Bones Type Vibe, Spy Agencies Grapple with How Much to Share at UFO Hearing. And we'll talk about how much they did share at it in a minute. But this is a um, an extract from this piece. There is a tug of war among competing factions inside the National Security Bureaucracy that will make it difficult for Congress to compel military branches, spy agencies, national laboratories and other organisations to come clean, given the long-standing secrecy and stigma surrounding the issue. Quote, without forcing people's hand, it is going to be very difficult to uncover legacy ventures and programmes that we know about based on all interviews we dug up, said a Defence Department official who was involved in the new effort but was not authorised to speak publicly. Quote, there has been a forcing, uh, sorry, there has to be a forcing mechanism. There has to be something to hold people accountable, but also give them a chance to come out clean for a period of time, the official added, noting that in his experience, the Pentagon Oversight Group has been stonewalled. The official said there are people with knowledge of the phenomena who have yet to contribute to the oversight effort. And so essentially he talks about you know, this kind of sense of secrecy and protecting what they know 
uh, I mean, you know, kind of it's no surprise, but it's interesting to kind of read it in black and white from, you know, actual sources, you know, that that's being uh, protected kind of at all costs by uh, a body within the Pentagon, like a group of people within the within the Pentagon. Um, so another quote later on in the article, the intelligence official described another faction inside military and intel agencies that takes the subject very seriously, quote, and is protective of UAP-related data. Quote, they fetishize their secret society, the official said. It's kind of a skull and bones type vibe. They take it seriously, but they have no accountability. Zero. There is a whole group of us that know in great detail this subject, a lot of which has not been reported to, con to Congress because of security issues. So... That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, absolutely incredible. No big surprise there, but it's still amazing to kind of get it in, in black and white and to know that, I mean, again, like, you know, not I follow US politics a little bit. I follow UK politics very, very closely. And of course, it doesn't surprise me at all that the Defence Department and counterintelligence agencies are kind of very carefully cherry-picking what it is that they um, share with Congress. You know, no surprise at all. But a really lovely, interesting article. Lovely. That's how I describe that. I describe that lovely. So, um, well done. Thank you very much, Ben uh, Brian, for Mr. Bender, for uh, working so diligently in this area. Um, he's much respected in the kind of UFO community. And you can see why. He's got excellent sources and he puts together, you know, things that, you know, really move the move the story on. And that question of, you know, do you uh, set up some kind of like way for people to feel as if they can talk about these things? I mean, probably never openly, but certainly to Congress and for Congress then to kind of make decisions about, um, you know, like how to run the country based on having knowledge of what's going on in the country. You know, probably a good idea, isn't it? You know, um, I think quite a lot of this is we're never going to get a kind of transparency that people in Congress are looking for in terms of open tr public transparency. But is there a mechanism that can be um, devised for people to feel like they can talk about this thing uh, behind closed doors, in closed sessions, to Congress people, um, whether those people then come out or not, like you know, kind of out of the woodwork, into the public, is a whole other thing, as far as I can see. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon at all. I mean, I know that um, you know, Lou Alexander was saying about in the next twenty years we might might get to the stage where you know people start to talk about where we're at now. And then another 20 years, this was recently, I can't remember which one, but a recent interview, then another 20 years for us to actually figure out what it's all about, you know. I mean, cool, that's like, I've got to live till 85 now. No, 80, 86, 86. I'm not going to live to 86. I was planning on dying at 70. <laughs> if I live to be 70, it would be an absolute miracle. Um, but no way, come on, speed it up, speed it up, for crying out loud. Anyway, I know what happens when I die, episode two. 
So just listen to episode two if you haven't yet. That's the answer. There's no mystery around it. God, it's so obvious. But anyway, yeah, in all seriousness, is there a mechanism where you can say to people that, that are keeping this from Congress, um, you know, it's, but we are going to kind of pass the law, but there's a kind of one year. This is like an open discussion, isn't it, in UFO circles. You know, we're going to pass the law. You're open to getting in contact with us, but you've only got a year or two years to do it. With uh, if it kind of expires, then we found out about you, then you're you're for the high jump, you know. So of course they could do that, but that's the kind of you don't really want to do that. You want to have a kind of collaborative approach, but of course none of this is collaborative. It's like deeply competitive and deeply secret. You know, it's, it is the biggest of all the secrets, obviously. And we kind of know, like, there's no... It isn't speculation anymore that there's been a, ma a massive continuing cover-up. Today didn't really kind of shed much light on the bigger picture, but we're going to that right now. News of this hearing got a lot of media coverage, including a CNN report that uh, I'll play now. Here it is. What are we observing? Uh, what you see here uh, is an um, uh, aircraft that is uh, operating in a, uh, uh, in a U.S. Navy uh, training range uh, that has observed uh, spherical objects uh, in that area. Uh, and as they fly by it, they take a video. You see a... Um, it looks uh, reflective in this video, somewhat reflective, uh, and it quickly passes by uh, the cockpit of the uh, of the aircraft. And is this one of the phenomena that we can't explain? I do not have an explanation for what this this specific uh, uh, object is. And is this one of the situations where it is? That's the, that's the object that we're looking at right there. Thank you. Um, and is this a situation where? It was observed by the pilot, and it was also recorded by the aircraft's instruments. Uh, we'll talk about the multi-sensor part uh, in a later session. Uh, but in this case, uh, we have at least that. For the first time in more than half a century, a House panel is holding a public hearing on mysterious flying objects, popularly known as UFOs. Seen as Kristen Fisher with the details. Well, John, this is a very big day. I mean, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee describes this as one of the great mysteries of our time. And it's a big day for all of these people who have spent so many years pushing for more transparency into this topic, but especially for those Navy pilots who actually saw these things with their own eyes. Seven years after Navy pilots spotted this unexplained object off the Atlantic coast. There's a it's Top Pentagon officials will be grilled by members of a House Intelligence Subcommittee. The first public hearing on UFOs or UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, in more than half a century. For far too long, this issue wasn't even taken very seriously. It was essentially relegated to science fiction. But in a very real sense, uh, UAPs present a very real national security risk, and the Intelligence Committee 
has responsibility to investigate. The hearing comes almost a year after the director of national intelligence released a highly anticipated report which examined 144 reports of UAPs but identified only a single one which turned out to be a deflated balloon. Quote, the others remain unexplained. The report also documents 11 instances in which pilots reported near misses with a UAP. This is not tinfoil hats and, you know, conversations of Ellis being on the mothership. Luis Elizondo is the former director of a Pentagon program that investigated UAPs, and he's been pushing for more transparency ever since he left in 2017. This is a very serious national security issue. Something is in our skies. It has been there for quite some time, and we're just now having the conversation publicly about it. My God. UFOs first hit the American public's radar about 70 years ago pushing Pentagon officials to try to explain the unexplainable. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. In the 1960s, then-Congressman Gerald Ford asked Congress to investigate, leading to the last public hearings on UFOs. Quote, I believe the American people are entitled to a more thorough explanation than has been given to them by the Air Force. But the Air Force investigation, known as Project Blue Book, concluded that UFOs were not extraterrestrial, nor did they pose a threat to our national security. Now, another congressman, Andre Carson, is pushing for similar answers. I believe it's important that they work to declassify some of this knowledge so the American people can, can, can effectively understand what's happening. objects that caught the attention of trained Navy pilots be part of a top-secret U.S. program? Could they be coming from a foreign adversary or somewhere else? <laughs> Whatever they are, the intelligence report concedes a handful of UAPs appear to demonstrate advanced technology, some without discernible means of propulsion. The speeds that they're exhibiting as well as the flight characteristics, uh, there's no platform or really an energy source that I'm aware of that could allow something to stay in the air uh, as long as these objects were. The only thing certain is that they exist. The big question is, whose is it? And where is it from? And what are the intentions? And what are the full capabilities? And is there something we can learn from it? And now a couple of highlights from the actual subcommittee. These are, you know, things that I, that I think are really interesting. It's not that long. It's a kind of distilled highlights. This effort will maximize collaboration and build upon already existing relationships with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the FAA, DHS, and the FBI. We are also committed to strong partnerships with the Department of Energy, NOAA, the DEA, NASA, and the national labs, and just as importantly, our international partners and allies. With regard to the importance of transparency, the department is fully committed to the principle of openness and accountability to the American people. However, we are also mindful of our obligation to protect sensitive sources and methods. Our goal is to strike that delicate balance, one that enables us to maintain the public's trust while preserving those capabilities that are vital to the support of our service personnel. Our main objective was to transition UAP efforts from an anecdotal or narrative-based uh, approach to a rigorous science and technology engineering focused study. We also made a concerted effort to assemble subject matter experts from across the Department of Defense and the intelligence community 
and other U.S. government agencies and departments. We forge partnerships with the research, development, and acquisition communities, with industry partners, and with academic research labs, and we brought many allies and international partners into our discussions on UAP. Additionally, subject matter experts from a wide variety uh, of fields, including physics, optics, metallurgy, meteorology, uh, just to name a few, have been brought in to, uh, uh, to expand our understanding in areas where meet, we may not have organic expertise. Could you describe any other initiatives that the DOD or DOD contractors have managed after Project Blue Book ended and prior to ATIP beginning? Did anything also predate Project Blue Book? So I, I, I can't speak to what may have predated uh, Project Blue Book. I mean, of course, there's Roswell and all these other things that people have talked about over the years. Um, I'm familiar with Blue Book. I'm familiar with, uh, with ATIP. Uh, I haven't seen other documented uh, studies that have been done by DOD in that regard. So you're not aware of anything in between Project Blue Book and ATIP? I'm not aware of anything that's uh, official that was done in between those two. Okay. Hasn't been uh, brought to my attention. Okay. Uh, additionally, are you aware of any other DOD or DOD contract programs focused on UAPs from a technological engineering perspective? And by that I mean, are you aware of any technology initiatives focused on this topic other than initiatives focused on the individual case inve investigations? I am not aware of any contractual programs that are focused on uh, any, anything related to this other than what we are doing in the Navy Task Force and what we are about to launch in terms of our effort. Uh, same question for you, Mr. Bray. Uh, same answer, not aware of anything outside what we uh, are doing in the UAP Task Force. So just to confirm, you're not aware of any technology or engineering resources that have been focused on these efforts besides what we've mentioned today? Once again, I'll say no contractual uh, uh, or uh, programmatic uh, efforts that are involved. And the reason why I, I, I Qualify that way. Yeah, let me qualify it that way. I, I can't speak to what people may be looking at in the department. Somebody says, I'm looking at something, I'm looking at something that may Got be it. unidentified, and I, I can't speak to that. I speak to official programs that we have on the record. It's also been reported uh, that there have been UAP observed uh, and interacting with and flying over sensitive military facilities, particularly, and not just ranges, but uh, some facilities housing our strategic nuclear forces. Uh, one such incident allegedly occurred. Uh, uh, at Malmstrom Air Force Base, in which 10 of our nuclear ICBMs were rendered inoperable at the same time. A glowing red orb was observed overhead. I'm not commenting on the accuracy of this. I'm simply asking you whether you're aware of it and whether you have any comment on the accuracy of that report. Let me pass that to Mr. Bray. You've been looking at UAPs over the last uh, three years. Uh, that data is not uh, within the holdings of the UAP task force. Okay, but are you aware of the, the report or that the data exists somewhere? Uh, I have uh, I have heard stories. I have not seen the official data on that. So you've just seen informal stories, no official assessment that you've done or exists within DOD that you're aware of uh, regarding the Malmstrom incident. Uh, all I can speak to is you know what's within my cognizance, the UAP task force, and we have not looked at that incident. Well, I would say I mean it's a pretty high profile incident. Uh, I, I don't claim to be an expert on this, but that's out there in the ether. 
you're, you're the guys investigating it. I mean, if, who else is doing it? If something was officially brought to our attention, we would look at it. Uh, there are many things that are out there in the ether that aren't officially brought to our attention. So how would it have to be officially brought to your Excuse attention? I'm bringing it to your attention. Sure, so, <laughs> this is pretty official. Sure. So we'll go back and take a look at it, but generally there is some um, authoritative figure that says there is an incident that occurred. We'd like you to look at this. Uh, but in terms of just tracking what may be in the media that says that something occurred at this time, at this place, uh, there are probably a, a lot of leads that we would have to follow up on. I don't think we have resources to do that right now. Well, I don't claim to be an authoritative figure, but for what it's worth, I would like you to look in, into it. And sure. if for no other reason, you could dismiss it and say this is not worth wasting resources on. Well um, and then finally, are, are you aware of a document that appeared around uh, 2019, uh, sometimes called the Admiral Wilson Memo or EW Notes Memo? I am, I am, I am not. You're not. I'm not personally aware of that. Okay. Uh, this is a document in which, again, I'm not commenting on the veracity. Uh, I was hoping you would help me with that, in which a former uh, head of DIA claims mm -hmm. to have had a conversation with the Dr. Eric Wilson uh, and claims to have uh, sort of been made aware of certain um, contractors or, or DOD programs um, that he tried to get uh, fuller access to and was denied uh, access to. Um, so you're not aware of, uh, of that? I'm not aware, Congressman. Uh, in my 10 seconds remaining, then, I, I guess I just would ask Mr. Chairman unanimous consent to enter that memo into the record. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it. How about wreckage? Uh, have we come across any wreckage of any kind of um, object that has now been examined by you? The UAP task force doesn't have any wreckage that isn't uh, explainable, that, that isn't consistent with being of terrestrial origin. Do we have any sensors underwater uh, to um, detect on submerged UAPs, uh, anything that is in the ocean or in the seas? So I think uh, that would be more appropriately addressed in closed session, sir. Okay. So a couple of thoughts on uh, the uh, entertainment from this afternoon. Uh, on Maelstrom, it's really interesting that, um, you know, one of the uh, questioners spoke about Maelstrom. I can't quite believe that they don't know about one of the most significant UFO cases in US history where um, nuclear devices were taken offline by a UFO. I think that they do, they have been told about that and they felt like they had no choice but deny it because to you know confirm that even though it's been confirmed by you know like many people you know and there's enough evidence out there there's a huge amount of evidence out there for that um you know documents and obviously you know robert salas and all the rest of it um oh by the way i've got an episode called ufos and nuclear something that's a good one and I, we talk about it there, you know. So, you know, even the kind of most um, brief look at, if you were to kind of start looking at UFOs, then one place to go would be to watch the thoroughly entertaining and informative and extremely popular and successful documentary on it called The Phenomenon. It only came out a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, like... That, that that includes um, information about Maelstrom. It includes like bloody Senator Harry Reid saying that the um, you know nuclear capabilities at uh, some sites uh, were offline during Obama's presidency. You know, so I think that they just wanted to 
absolutely avoid talking about the nuclear deterrent being under threat from UFOs. <laughs> so the easiest way of saying that was, oh no, we don't know anything about Maelstrom, which is which I think is a lie. I mean, it, I guess there's a chance that they have been massively badly briefed and they're not really across this. Um, it was quite contradictory. You know, lots of times they would say, oh yeah, we've got excellent sensors. And then they would say, oh no, but, you know, it's quite difficult to kind of, you know, get all the sensors to kind of work uh, on like one, you know, fleeting image and stuff. Like, so for instance, that video that they showed was just a waste of time. And we know there's much better videos than that. They could have showed the videos that were released a couple of years ago. I mean, they're better videos than that, you know, and they're kind of more interesting to talk about. But the idea of talking about that video was just to kind of, you know, uh, dismiss, dismiss it. Yeah. Um, one thing I really enjoyed after kind of coming out of work was listening to the thoughts of Sean Rash and um, J. Christopher King and uh, Graham Rendell and Dan the Zignal and uh, a few other people as well on that really excellent panel. Uh, Vinny, the disclosure team, and um, a few other people on this really excellent panel that Sean got together. And I link on link that, and I agree with quite a few of them, and everybody's going to have their own sense of frustration with this. And also everyone's going to have their own sense of buoyancy, you know. And I feel buoyant, I mean, generally speaking, I agree with the kind of um, analysis by those guys. And it's definitely worth checking out their um you know they talk about about it about 45 minutes or so after the you know the actual presentation you know the actual hearing um and i generally agree you know i'm buoyed by the quality of the questions and also not surprised at all actually by the i mean this is what i said you know in episode 19 i didn't think that we would get anywhere i'm quite surprised that they said metallurgy you know, you need to have metal in order to get in contact with a metallurgist. I'm quite surprised that they said that they're in contact with Space Force and that they're in contact with NASA, they're working with NASA. Uh, I'm quite surprised that they said, let's leave talking about sensors in the water to um, the, the closed briefing. And I said, you know, it's a perfect get out clause you know, they can just say, oh, we'll discuss it in the closed briefing. But they didn't actually do that that much. And when they did do it, it was obviously significant. You know, you could kind of, like, the obvious reading of that is, oh, there's something more to say about it that they, don't, they can't say in public. So the question that prompted him, the, one of the guys saying, let's discuss that in the closed briefing, was do we have um, sensors... Um, sensing underwater activity, and they said, <laughs> and the other time they said that, I think they only said it twice from memory, but the other time they said that is um, when they said, like, are we kind of developing our sensors in, in relation to this? Like, are we kind of improving? Or I, th I can't quite remember the word from the questioner, but essentially, you know, are our, are our sensors being um, improved uh, because of this. 
And he said, well, I can't say that in public, you know. And of course, what they, well, he didn't say that. He said, let's discuss it in the closed briefing. And of course, both of the gentlemen that appeared were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're all for transparency. We're all for transparency. But we have to balance that with um, national security, which, of course, I mean, no one's going to argue against that. But at the same time, you know, there's no transparency within that. Do you know what I mean? There's no kind of oversight. And like we've discussed with the Brian Bender um, article in Politico, the, you, they are choosing who is giving the briefings. They are choosing what is in the brief, the closed-door briefings. They're choosing what is in the briefings. And they're probably there's a good chance that these guys don't know uh, everything anyway. You know, I mean, they're like just getting to the stage where they're up and running with this new, what they call it, AIMSOR, AIMSOR, or something like that, this ridiculous acronym, which isn't an acronym, is it? AIMSOR. Um, this office, you know, they've, they've, Brian in his article says that they've got two people working there, the director and two people. You know, that's not much. So, um, uh, yeah, quite a lot of work to do just to kind of do the, the basics of setting it up, you know. Uh, anyway, I, I'm going to come back to these thoughts, but let's have a break because I came up with this incredible, uh, I, I could call it a revelation. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but here it is. We don't talk about UFOs. No, no, no. We don't talk about UFOs. Has anybody noticed that we don't talk about Bruno is about the stigma around uh, phenomenal experiences, experiences that are difficult for people to accept, that are out of the everyday uh, ordinary life? Uh, this Bruno character from Encanto has the ability to uh, read the future. And a whole mythos is grows up around this Bruno character. And the way that people deal with him is to not talk about him. Ah, interesting, huh? I also thought it was interesting that they confirmed that they're working with international allies. So that's the United Kingdom and Canada and Australia and New Zealand, like definitely those five, those four, because those five countries with the United States make up the five eyes, don't they? Do you remember that from the James Bond film? Yeah, five eyes. Um, and as Vinny said, uh, disclosure team, Vinny said on the um, Sean Rash Witness Citizen uh uh, kind of response to this which is in the episode description he said we're not getting a pipe out of the uk i think he meant peep but i got where he's coming from we're not getting a pip out of the uk at all they say there was a um, short debate in the house of lords uh on this and the government's response was we don't see UAPs as a threat, um, so they're very closed. We we are like so far back compared to where the United States is, 
So interesting now, and I think somebody said this, maybe it was um, Vinny, but, um, you know, interesting now that we've got, you know, folks uh, giving evidence to Congress saying, yeah, we're working with allies, and obviously it's Britain, do you know what I mean? So um, that's interesting, isn't it? But, yeah, generally speaking, I think people are quite frustrated by it. I'm I am buoyed by the kind of brilliance of the questions and there weren't you know you you heard the highlights uh but I could have added more but you know it's easily accessible the whole thing and it's definitely worth watching obviously the whole thing and I do link the whole thing um and I'm not that surprised by the answers at all but at the same time we did get a little bit uh here and there and also it kind of shows us that this is the first one of these you know and the and next time these guys are going to be uh, more equipped with um you know information and 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 uh, better questions even with the questions this time was were brilliant but of course going back to the politico story you do wonder how long we're going to be knocking at the door really you know and whether they're really ever going to open the door um so it's a big uh, concern still you know having said that a historic day and uh you know slowly we're moving forward and now the archive so welcome to the archive and the archive this week we're going to look at a newspaper report from Devon, Plymouth in Devon, which is quite close to where I live. And it's uh, the Western Evening Herald, and it's from 1981. And um, I've done a link to the, um, the, the file, so you can take a look at it. It's a PDF, I think. Um, anyway, uh, let's take a look. So it says, Earth-shattering experience for Denise. And that's the kind of the top head. I don't know. Do they call it the top head in the business? <laughs> the top cat. And then the um, the headline, that's the word, is attacked by a spaceship by Roger Malone. So get a load of this, right? This is unbelievable. I mean, this has, I don't know, has it changed? Uh, I think the word, the um, Western... Evening Herald has changed, but this is a very tabloidy way of talking about a woman. I mean, it probably is just the same in the tabloids in the UK. But anyway, this one says, When pretty Denise Bishop came home one night, it wasn't the, prover the proverbial fairies she saw at the bottom of the garden, but a flying saucer. And she claimed she was burnt by a beam from a UFO. Denise even carries what appears to be tangible evidence of this stranger-than-usual recorded UFO sighting several weeks after the event. Well, fact or fancy, true or false, it brings out the sceptic like a shower brings snails from under a stone. Even the almost-healed burn on her hand is not undisputed proof that this visitation was any more uh, than a flight from an over-fertile mind. 
Like all claims, this one is open to the accompanying suspicion and conjecture that anyone brave or indiscreet enough to own up to a, in quotes, sighting, is inevitably subjected to. Until she walked up the steps to her parents' bungalow in Western Mill Hill on a clear starlit night on September the 10th, Denise had never given UFOs a second thought. The 23-year-old accounts clerk with a motor firm in Plymouth, she is an intelligent person whose description of the events that she claims took place have been eagerly cross-examined by the Plymouth UFO Research Group, and particularly by its chairman, Bob Boyd. It was only through his encouragement that Denise finally agreed to talk to the Evening Herald. This is uh, Denise now. I've got out of the taxi and was walking up the... That doesn't sound like a 20. How old is she? 23. I got out of the taxi and was walking up the steps to the bungalow. I can't do Plymouth. I got I got a bungalow between 11.15 and 11.30pm when I saw a spaceship that was the same shape as the body of a crab. It was a massive ship with pink, purple and white lights. The colours were pastel shades, not vivid colours. The shell of the ship was metallic grey. Feeling disconcerted at such a spectacular homecoming, Denise gathered her thoughts and decided to get into the house quickly. As I reached for the back door, a lime green beam came down on the back of my hand. I couldn't move. I was more amazed than anything. Then the beam went back into the ship and I could move. It was as if someone had stopped a film and then started it again. Denise said the UFO was absolutely silent, despite its size, estimated at 125 foot long. There was a full moon that night, and I could see the UFO quite well. At first it was just hovering, then it went up higher and moved off slowly, before disappearing from sight. Now I wish I paid more attention to the time, uh, at the time, and that I wasn't so shocked. I'm very curious about it because it's the sort of thing you would hear and don't really believe. Now I feel sorry for all those people who've been saying similar things and not been taken seriously. When Denise got indoors, she told her sister Carrie, a scene in brackets, whose boyfriend phoned the police and through them got in touch with the Plymouth UFO Research Group. A mark had appeared on Denise's hand where she said her... But she says the beam of light struck her. Her mother told to wash off congealed matter which had formed there. Bob, Bur- Bob Boyd was so keen to hear such a phenomenal first-hand account that he arrived at the Bishop household at 3am and quizzed her for two hours. A friend who was a nurse suggested a medical checkup, but Denise, who was shortly going to Canada for a two-week holiday, refused. She was afraid something might happen to prevent her trip, and also still in a state of anxiety. It was an experience she felt was best soon forgotten. Now, in retrospect, she is glad to have been confronted by such an incredible visitation. This sort of thing was never interesting enough to me to even think about. I suppose I believe it was just one of those things. Now I have joined the converted but the problem is converting everyone else. It is so strange that you think twice about speaking about it. 
If it hadn't been for the burn, I wouldn't have said anything. Bob Boyd has sent details to RAF Mountbatten, and they have dispatched them to Ministry of Defence Headquarters in London. I cannot stress how unusual this is. And this is Bob now. I cannot stress. I cannot... Oh, this sounds like a dog. I cannot stress... <laughs> Hold on, what does Bob sound like? It's almost Plymouth. I'm around people from Devon every day, I can't. We cannot, we cannot stress how unusual this is in virtually every other UFO site and there's never any physical evidence left after the event. We can only accept on face value what Denise says and there doesn't seem any reason to disbelieve her. The burn mark adds credence to the fact it wasn't a figment of the imagination. Bob believes this sighting will become one of the most well-known cases in ufology. But why did no one else see it? In the vast majority of UFO cases, it's only the people... Can, that's more like Sheffield, isn't it? God, I can't believe I'm not doing a Devon accent. What's wrong with me? Anyway, in the vast majority of, in the vast majority of UFO cases... It is only the people concerned who see the incident. It is one of the odd aspects about the phenomenon. Inexplicable, impossible, out of the world it may be, but Denise is just one of a growing number of people who claim to have seen sites that by normal terms of reference do not exist. It is as unwise to dismiss such reports with ostrich attitudes as it is to forge concrete conceptions on a fabric of sketchy facts. It is only with an open mind that we can face the, this infinite subject and hope one day to unravel its mysteries. So that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so actually it's quite a kind of open-minded piece by Roger Malone at the end there. Um, probably not helped by my uh, kind of accent of the uh, my uh, higher voice when I um, embodied Denise. And now on the file, if you kind of open up the file from the episode description, you'll see that the uh, the kind of pa the newspaper article has been scanned in. And on the side of it, there's writing. It doesn't say who this writing is from, but it's, it's quite interesting. I'm going to write this. I'm going to read this out. It says... Um, at the side here, it says, I have contacted this young lady, but she just, in quotes, doesn't want to know and wishes she had not had any publicity at all. So it sounds like poor Denise had a bit of a rough time after this came out in the newspaper. And then it says, P.S. Brinsley, I don't know who that is. I, although you don't normally, when you write, when you're sending something, you don't normally. Oh no, maybe, maybe it is to Brinsley, because she's written Brinsley, whoever Brinsley is, Brinsley, um, and then underlined it, and it says, "P.S. Brinsley, I expect you may have read World Messengers for the coming, sorry, World Messages for the coming decade from our space friends," and then three question marks. £3.50 from Guardian Action Publications UK, 45 High Street, Berkham Hampstead, Hertz, HP4 2BX, 
Cheers, Marilyn. <laughs> so that's nice, isn't it? I don't know who Marilyn is. That, that book sounds very interesting, doesn't it? Well, yeah, let's take a look at that book. Okay, so I've got some info about the book. It is called World Messages for the Coming Decade, a Cosmic Symposium. Um, fifth edition, this is from Abe Books. Fifth edition, April 1983. Uh, um, lots of different people. Um, Tuella, Channels Masters, Kathumi, El Moira, Jesus, Hilarion, and many more with messages for the decade of the 1980s. Owner inscription on the title page and highlighting throughout the book. Lots of highlighting. If you want to get that, then you can pay... How much is that one? £15. And four pence. Not bad. Mm, not bad. So anyway, so how has life changed in the kind of UFO reporting since... Uh, 1981. Well, I mean, in many ways, not not a lot, really, not a lot. I mean, Bob Boyd was totally wrong in that um, Denise Bishop's case would become a kind of big deal. Um, but in fact, it's actually quite a, you know, quite a straight down the line reporting. Um, and, and that conclusion as well is, you know, uh, quite quite straightforward really and straight down the line like I say so um yeah there we go I, I would love to know who Marilyn is um but there we are anyway that's the archive for tonight and take care of yourselves we've got another episode coming up very very soon in relation to this film that's coming out on Friday the aerial phenomenon so that should be up at the weekend um so yeah that's exciting isn't it Anyway, on this historic uh, occasion, uh, I bid you adieu. And it only leaves me to say, see you later.